Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and a very warm welcome to our Boxing Day special. I do hope that you have had a lovely well-being Christmas and that you've had plenty of time to rest and relax and celebrate with loved ones, either in person or virtually. And now that we're on the other side of Christmas, the flash sales beckoning us back to the shops can be a bit overwhelming. But before we search the sale racks for a whole new wardrobe, however, I have just had the pleasure of chatting with Livia Firth the UN leader for change and the undisputed queen of sustainable fashion. Now, throughout her career as a documentary producer and now as the founder and creative director of EcoAge, the eco-consultancy firm, Livia has tirelessly drawn attention to the ways that fast fashion is cruel to both the people that produce our clothes and to our planet. And with her green carpet challenge, which saw movie stars and celebs swap their brand new red carpet gowns for sustainable or even secondhand alternatives, she really has done a lot to improve the public perception of what eco-fashion can look like. Now, we have had a truly eye-opening chat about the true cost of our shopping habits and the steps that we can all take to challenge this unethical side of the fashion industry. We also discussed whether eco-fashion is really an option for all or whether it's only available to the privileged few who can afford to clear the conscience by shelling out on the high price tag items. Well, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on all that we have talked about here and more on Instagram after the show. But now, here's Livia. So Livia, what was your journey with the fashion industry? How did you come to be so interested and so involved? Well, it's an interesting journey because I wasn't interested or involved at all until 10 years ago. I never really looked at fashion or cared for fashion. Even growing up, I was obsessed with interior design magazines, for example. Never, ever bought a fashion magazine until um, after we opened EcoAge, uh, I met few women back in 2008, 2007 that were working on sustainable fashion at the time, and still are. Um, Lucy Siegel, the, the journalist and TV presenter, and Ursula de Castro then moved on to um, creating Fashion Revolution, and Jocelyn Whipple. Um, and, and it's the first time that I started hearing about 
sustainability and fashion and, and the impact that clothes had in our life. And I, I was really like, really? But what do you mean by, do people buy a lot of clothes? Like I was completely, almost like living in another world. And then in 2008, I went to, um, with, with the circle, this NGO that I co-founded with, other, with um, Annie Lennox and other women to Bangladesh to look at a campaign at the time that Oxfam was doing on domestic violence. And as I was in Dhaka, I, w- I went with Lucy Siegel, we asked to get smuggled into a factory. And that is what changed my life forever. Because, you know, for the first time being surrounded, entering a building, first of all, with the armed guard at the door. And you think, uh, are we going into a prison or a factory? Like, you know, you immediately, your brain gets confused. And then you enter the building and there's, every floor is crammed by women who are even afraid to look at you, to raise their, their face and look at you. And if you ask something, they're afraid to speak up. Really? And then, you know, you see that the windows have bars, you know, so that there is, there is no fire escape, nothing. And you think, oh my God. And then eventually when we started getting the trust of a couple of women, there were, you know, information start to spill out like, we are producing 150 pieces an hour. Um, we, we have two toilet breaks a day. Um, you know, if my son is sick, I lose my job because I, you know, I can't stay with my son. And then you say, think, oh my God, is this what we're doing as women to other women? Yeah. Just because they are on the other side of the world, we don't see it. Is this what our huge appetite for fashion and disposable fashion has created? So what, what what were these women making? Well, they were uh, in this particular factory they were producing for a big fast fashion brand, which I won't name. And then um, I went back to Bangladesh. Uh, so remember, this was 2008, way before Rana Plaza, the building that collapsed in Dhaka and killed 1,134 people in the name of fashion. Mm. Um, they So that happened in 2013. So then I went back to Bangladesh in 2015 and met, I visited many more factories and met many more women and government workers. And sadly, the situation has not changed at all. And in fact, this global pandemic, what has exposed is that it is much worse than we thought is even because the brands now are even refusing to pay for the orders that they put. So the government workers have been starving for months, let alone contracted COVID, you know, so it's, it's a really, but what emerged when you take a step back from this particular episode is, is that you realize what our treating fashion as something disposable, which should be an oxymoron, right? Um, but what has created, what system has created. And so this is when I really started to become active and change everything that I was doing before. Because before that, you were involved in sustainability and activism, weren't you? But just not on the fashion side. What was your journey before that? Well, I wasn't really. It was, I was a documentary producer. Um, the last documentary I produced before opening Ecoage was on the Black Panther. So, yes, definitely an activist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, a, and a case of a death row case in America of an ex-Black Panther um, that was unfairly trialed. So... I was, I've always liked, as I describe myself as an agitator, I always like to agitate and, and, and be active. But the minute I understood the power of fashion, because, you know, when you, when you work, every day we wear 
clothes, fortunately, right? We don't go around naked. So as a huge power. And when you understand, I remember the first time I stepped on a red carpet with Colin in 2010, when I started the Green Carpet Challenge, Mm -hmm. I was coming from four years of doing the documentary on the Black Panther and struggling to, you know, it was a very successful documentary at the time. It went to Sundance, it got great reviews, but then no one wanted to distribute it because it was too political. And then I step on the red carpet wearing, you know, a beautiful story of sustainable fashion. And I got so much attention and I thought, okay, if you want fashion, I'll give you fashion. But we're talking about the same thing, you know. <laughs> and that's how it started. It's always been. <laughs> yeah. So the common thread there really is social justice. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, through it, And you can amplify that on lots of different platforms. I remember actually being in L.A., um, when I still had connections with the beauty company, we got involved with the Green Carpet Challenge. And that was the first time. I mean, I've actually been over for the Oscars years and years ago when I used to do uh, more TV presenting uh, and, and did sort of behind the scenes. And it is just such an extraordinary circus, isn't it? And you're right, you know, stepping onto that red carpet. Everybody wants to know what you're wearing from your earrings to your shoes to your dress. So you started the Green Carpet challenge which I guess is an antidote to the red carpet how, how does that work how do you qualify to be uh, on, on the green carpet rather than the red carpet well it was we started working so first of all I love that the word challenge is included in the title because when we started it was a real challenge we didn't know now we know and it's not a challenge anymore but it's still you know we are challenging other people <laughs> to do it but you are basically is well, we, what you wear has to have a story and a very beautiful story on both the environmental and the social side. So that's how you qualify. It's very simple. So rather than walking a carpet or going to any event just by saying, oh, I'm wearing a dress by blah, 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 and giving just the name of the designer, you can say, oh, I'm wearing this dress by blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's made with X and, you know, it's been produced in this amazing factory. So you have you have the, the story goes deeper. Yeah. It's all about the story and the power of the narrative, which is something that was missing, started being so this the fashion that you and I have, have, are of a similar age, you know, we, we grew up without fast fashion. So we, we are used yeah. to those fashion stories. We when we bought clothes, we bought them with an eye to the quality and who, you know, the brand who made it and you know the, the material. Then sadly, with, with fast fashion, we got divorced by all of that. You know, production started to happen on the other side of the world by people we didn't see, so we didn't care. You know, everything was so cheap that we started to buy in bulk and, and so often because it was so cheap. Mm-hmm. And they, they addicted us to this cycle. Yeah, it's, it's so true. I mean, I, I remember growing up as a child and, you know, you, you would only buy one new thing, you know, really rarely. I mean, it, it, was a, it was a treat. A lot of stuff was made for me or it was yeah. hand-me-downs, yeah. you know, and we didn't really have vintage shops as, as such, but we had other families that would have children slightly older than me and, you know, I would always wear their things and it just sort of went on. And never thought about it. And the extraordinary thing now is, you know, I've got, you know, two daughters and 
just seeing this constant bombardment of what are you wearing, what are you buying? It's almost the Saturday weekend activity, or used to be before the pandemic. You know, let's go out and browse the fast fashion shops and see what we can buy. And yeah. um, I mean, thankfully, Lily, especially, I mean, possibly due to your influence, I'm sure, is, you know, is very much an eco warrior and loves raiding the vintage shops, loves remaking stuff raiding my wardrobe very often as I see you raid your mum's I mean how fortunate are you to have such a stylish mum with such an amazing wardrobe I think that helps a lot but it's um you're right it made me think that about when you said vintage shop didn't exist it's true because at the time they were called heirloom pieces that you would have inherited from your as you say your mother your aunt your great-grandmother um I have so many I mean I even have now a crocodile bag and a, a fur coat by my great grandmother, which obviously I can't wear because you know the, you'd uh, get paint thrown all over you, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, but you know, I inherited them when they died. They went to my grandma, and then my grandma gave it to my mom, and then my mom said, I'm not gonna wear you wear it. And it's like, well, I can't either, but yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a really interesting question, actually, isn't it, about fur? Because there is this this debate. Um, and obviously, particularly with old vintage fur, and then you look at fake fur. But of course, fake fur is plastic. And this whole, you know, where where do you stand on on you know using plastic materials and and you know because we know that those nanoplastics they simply don't break down. I was looking at research recently showing that even washing the nylon clothes in a washing machine releases billions of tiny plastic particles into the water system just through washing our clothes. So obviously, you know, going and buying, you know, plastic fur, for example, that's not really the answer either, is it? No, and in fact, well, starting from um, fur versus, real fur versus fake fur, I, I really don't go there in terms of, real fur is not an option. At no. Um, because, you know, if we were living in the Middle Ages where someone would go hunting um, to, yes. to, to eat a, an animal and then, you know, you use the fur for something that great. But yeah. apparently we, you know, unfortunately we don't live there anymore. And no. today the, the animals get farmed just for their skin. So it's like, yeah. you know, uh, like yeah. crocodile. So okay. it's like, you don't want to go there. Um, no. But with fake fur, you are absolutely right. And there's been for so long this thing of the vegan fur. But it's like, in fact, it is plastic. And it is much plastic. And it doesn't decompose. So... We have to, we go back, for me, it always goes back to what, when you buy something, no matter what it is, you really have to buy for longevity and forever. So you invest in that piece and you keep it forever. Then you don't, it almost like the issue about decomposing or polluting doesn't exist anymore because you're thinking, I'm going to wear it forever. Yes. Right? So if everyone thought like this, then we wouldn't have in this conversation. Obviously, the problem is that m- many people buy something for one season and throw it away. And then it's not only, as you said, fake fur, it's synthetic, f- synthetic fibers and, you know, nylon and all of that. Fortunately, today, there are millions of studies that came out to prove what you said. We even, even in the water that we drink, there are microplastics. You know, mm-hmm. I remember shockingly last year, there was a research that even in a river in Scotland, up in the mountains, in the middle of nowhere, they found traces of plastic. I mean, it's so scary. There is plastic in the oceans. And, but so fortunately, we know that today. And fortunately, there are alternatives like, you know, 
I personally think that if, if a brand has to use synthetic at all or nylon, then you use a product like Econil. Like, for example, Prada announced that all their nylon now is Econil, which is an Econilon made with waste, which is 100% recyclable and recyclable forever. So it's an yeah. incredible fiber and technology. Or you just got moving to the natural fiber. So why do you need to have a sweater made of synthetic? Why don't you just have a wool sweater like we used to, right? Yeah. Wool is such an incredible fiber. Lovely. And, you know, and, and it's biodegradable and it has a million other properties, you know, on everything. I mean, you, you did, you've done so much research also like on eczema and things like that. I mean, wool mm. is, is, makes a huge difference even on that. So why don't we know we can use, we can move away from the plastic and the synthetic conversation. It's yeah. just a matter of, uh, are we willing to, you know, yeah. are we willing to sacrifice that l really cute new sweater that costs nothing that we saw in the high street shop in the name of our principle and for the benefit of the planet or are we not? <laughs> Is it then really about buying less, but buying better a bit like the kind of the meat debate, you know, don't buy factory farmed intensively reared, you know, fake meat or, or, or processed meat, but, you know, go for just the occasional piece of grass fed, you know, proper bit of, you know, beef or lamb. Uh, and, you know, is it a similar principle that, that go for something that's better made with better fabrics that's going to stand the same time and last and be in our wardrobe for longer? Yeah, I think it's exactly that. And I think if you, sometimes I think if, if, um, for example, now a lot of the principle of veganism have been, you know, a lot of the food has become very um, uh, glamorous, right? So we all eat avocados and quinoa and all mm. of that. But the effect of many of many more people eating those kind of food is creating devastating impact on the environment. Yeah. When you oh, eat yeah. the avocados and the quinoa, for example, just to take two. And it's exactly yeah. the same with fashion and with fast fashion. This is what happened. Is exactly that. It's about how much we consume of one thing. So mm. it's about having a varied diet and like a very wardrobe with pieces that you keep forever. And as you say, sometimes, you know, if we could all eat meat that is properly fed just once a week, we wouldn't have this problem and we wouldn't have this conversation. And instead, mm. because we consume so much meat, you know, the Amazon forest is depleted and, you know, and, the, and all of that jazz. So it's about excess and consumption. I think we always go back to that in the end, don't we? Yeah, we do. One of the things that I really uh, enjoyed about you was, was starting the 30 Wears initiative. And that's a hashtag, isn't it, that kind of trends over social media. And I know, I mean, I often see Lily, you know, using it, hashtag 30 Wears. So it, is that what we should be aiming for, that we don't actually have anything that, that we buy or that's in our wardrobe that is going to give us less than 30 Wears? Yeah, this was the, what um, we came up with. Lucy, I remember once talking to Lucy Siegel, I was like, my God, everyone always asks me the same question. But what do I do? What do I buy? And the problem is no one goes around with an encyclopedia that said this brand is good, this brand is all right, but this brand could be better and this brand is really bad. No one does. So this, the, the most practical solution, what Lucy said, what we can do is, okay, when you are enter a shop and you're about to buy something, ask yourself, will I wear it a minimum of 30 times? If the answer is yes, buy it. 
but you would be surprised how many times you look at that thing and thinking, mm, not really, no. So put it back and don't buy, don't dare. <laughs> so that is actually a really easy, practical solution. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O- L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. Well, I mean, I've always been a believer in investment dressing and I've got things in my wardrobe, you know, that easily go back. Well, I've got things, I've got my, one of my favorite cardigans actually was as a designer called Enrico Couvery, I think was an Italian. Yeah. And uh, I bought it with my first ever paycheck when I worked at Malcolm Brown, I must've been aged about 19. And it, you know, it cost a, a small fortune. Uh, certainly, you know, for me back then, it was, it was a massive investment for me. And I wore it and wore it and wore it and then pushed away and then Lily discovered it. And now she wears it. And, you know, it just gives me such an amazing sense of, of joy to see her, you know, almost 30 years on, well, probably more actually, because she is nearly 30. So um, I must have bought it, I don't know, 40, 45 years ago, maybe. Um, no, maybe I'm not quite that old. My maths is terrible. But anyway, 40-ish years ago. <laughs> and it's still going. And, and one of the things that I, I used to live with a, a fashion editor when I first came to London, she was my first landlady. She's called Geraldine Ranson. And she was the fashion editor for the Telegraph, or maybe the Sunday Telegraph. And so she, you know, I was introduced very early on to this world of haute couture that I'd never experienced before. And she said to me, Liz, when you buy things, it's all about cost per wear. Just work out, you know, if you buy, you know, a hundred pound piece of clothing and you wear it a hundred times, it's cost you a pound per wear. If you buy a 10 pound top and you wear it once, or twice, it's cost you five or 10 pounds per wear. So, you know, which is the more economical? And that just kind of stuck with me as such a good rule of thumb. But it is, and that's what, this is, I think we can understand that because this is how we grew up. And I did too, I saved for two years to buy my first Max Mara coat that costed at the time 700,000 liras. So give, let's say 700,000 pounds. Um, and Not 700,000 pounds. 700 pounds. <laughs> and I still have it. You still have it, yeah. Yeah, but and it is that cost per wear. You know, I, I, I have a pair of uh, Stella McCartney trousers that I wore for ten years, like so often, and they're probably mm. now that so much cheaper than Primark if you do the cost per wear. Yeah. And that's the thing, and nothing I could buy at Primark will last ten years. No, for sure. Talking about fast fashion, are they making any changes? We do see, you know, and hear of various initiatives. What's what's the real story? What's what's going on behind the scenes? Well, they do plenty of changes, and more than anything, they do plenty of pledges. They sign up and pledge and commit to a lot of things, but then mm. they go on doing behaving like um, cowboys, basically. The, the starting point is, let's remember, fast fashion is a business model and it's a business model based on producing 
lots, huge quantities, very fast, very cheaply, and turn them around. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's that simple. So how can a business model like this ever be sustainable? Because you could produce the whole collection in organic cotton, say, you're still producing masses of clothes and rubbish. Or, and not all, by producing those huge volumes at those prices, you can only do it in one way, with slave labor. So, Slave labor, I mean, that is a strong statement, slave labor. How, how do you qualify that? Well, unfortunately, there, I mean, there are legal definitions of slave labor in terms of bonded labor and, you know, and um, traffic labor. There is plenty of that in fast fashion as well. But the majority of them is a definition that, that you know, you can't really legally define it because what they do is you're just trapped, like the women I met in 2008, in 2015, and, you know, I keep speaking to, like, very often in Bangladesh or in many other parts of the world. But but it, it's indentured labour. They just have no choice. They do. Well, that's the problem. They do have a choice. Um, but unfortunately, they're fast fashion. So the way that this, this, the model operates is that you go, you're a fast fashion brand. You go into a country, say Bangladesh, because we spoke about Bangladesh before. You place an order in a factory so you don't hire the factory and you don't own the factory you just simply pay place an, an order and when you place that order you say i want you to produce i don't know um three thousand pair of shorts for 25p each and i need it in three weeks 25p i mean is that yeah. really what we're yeah. talking about yeah yes this is what we're talking about. The factory owner obviously needs that money, complains and say, uh, this is too cheap. I can't, you know, I can't do it. Uh, you have to pay at least 50 PPM. And the fast fashion brand said, okay, I'll go somewhere else. So actually the fast fashion brand is enslaving that factory and that factory owner, that which then pays the garment work. So, the excuse is that they go there and they pay when they do the minimum wage of the country. So the minimum wage in Bangladesh is, I think today is $168 a month. So how can you live on $168 a month? So it means that the majority of women then have to do extra time because they have to buy food for the kids and maybe send them to school and maybe buy a pair of, you know, a dress for their daughter or, pair of shorts themselves for their son but this is not life and then they're entrapped in the system they can't get out there is no a ladder a career ladder you're not entering a factory like you have it will happen in Italy or in England you enter a factory with this position and then you can progress onto a career maybe one day you become manager of the floor maybe one day you become manager of the factory in Bangladesh the system doesn't exist and neither does in many other parts of the world so Obviously, it's much more complex than, than this, and I'm simplifying it for the purpose yeah. of our podcast and conversation. But what we did with um, the circle and, a, and the lawyer circle, so within the circle NGO, there is a very active lawyer circle, which um, has as members uh, some of the biggest women uh, lawyers in the UK. 
uh, and a human rights lawyer, corporate lawyer, taxation lawyers, all sorts of lawyers. And four years ago, they actually started to analyze the system to see whether they, we could find the legal caveat to regulate the market. Because until you regulate legally, the brands will always hop from one country to the other in pursuit of the cheapest possible production line. And two years ago, after two years of deliberation with lawyers in 14 other countries, they established the legality of a living wage. And now that project has been brought to the European Commission and it's been um, considered to create a proper law so the brand cannot do this anymore. You know, they have. So what should we be looking for on labels? So is it about country of origin? No. You know, should, should we not be buying anything that comes from Bangladesh? No, absolutely. I think we should be buying things that come from Bangladesh because, you know, in Bangladesh, there are also, you know, some of these women are, they need, you know, they are seamstresses at the same level of a seamstress in the Atelier Valentino in Rome, you know? Um, so it's not about, unfortunately, you touch on another very um, difficult uh thing which is the labeling so if you compare the labeling in the fashion industry to the labeling in the food industry you will immediately understand the difference right mm -hmm. so when you you go to the supermarket anything you buy has a label with not only the ingredients the nutritional values everything when you buy a piece of garment it says made in and yeah with you know 50 percent cotton 50 percent polyester and that's it so we need um there needs to be a lot of things that need to be changed. But in the meantime, this is not an excuse for us to be inactive and sure. let things progress as they are today because there is, you know, it's not up to us to change it. It is up to us to change it and demand that change. And in the meantime, we slow down consumption and send a very strong signal to the, to the fast fashion brands in particular that we don't want to be used like this anymore, you know. If you were an alcoholic or a drug addict, you will try and win your addiction to these drugs. Uh, it's the same with fashion, you know. Yeah. You don't have to go every Saturday. You don't have to keep buying things, you know. I, I, I remember seeing years ago when I used to be up in Oxford Street seeing particularly younger girls coming out of Primark, um, you know, clutching dozens of bags dozens of carrier bags just overstuffed you know, this look of glee on their faces and I, I do wonder whether you know COVID notwithstanding whether we will ever go back to that or whether you know that actually you would be embarrassed now to to, to be seen consuming in, in such an incredibly thoughtless way like that. I, I want to hope so um, I think two very interesting things happened this year because of COVID which we've done with we can't underestimate. One is we readjusted our values slightly, for sure. So when we were mm. in lockdown, and in countries like in Italy, in Spain, in France, I mean, lockdown has been really long and miserable. Yeah. Um, did we miss the things that we couldn't buy or, or the friends that we didn't have? And so yeah, that. that kind of made us look at life and what we valued in a different way. So hopefully that will have a very big effect. The mm. other thing that happened is that until pre-COVID, we were all very, very inactive and very lazy in terms of active citizenship because we were all saying, 
well, but it's not up to us. It's not, you know, I can't do anything to change this. This is terrible, I can't do anything. Sadly, COVID brought the responsibility back into us. It made us all superheroes because it was up to us individually whether we spread the virus or not. It's actually up to me whether I give the virus to someone else or not. Whether I wear a face mask or not, whether I go out or not, whether I get tested or not, is up to me. So that reappropriation, let's put it this way, of, of um, power, hopefully will make us realize how it is up to us on a lot of other things in life. Mm. It's, it's, it's really empowering. Are there particular brands that are doing it well or particular fabrics that we should be looking out for? Give us some sort of practical points as we move into, you know, the start of a new year and a new opportunity, hopefully a new way of living for, for you know, globally. I think there are a lot of new brands. Um, there are a lot of, of things that make, make me excited right now. A lot of the brands that we work with at EcoAge that are doing very impressive work like Diesel and Gucci, like the big guys, that really? um, they're doing it really well and consistently and seriously when it's not also not easy. You know, it's not an easy journey and something that you turn overnight. And they're so committed, you know, redemption. And, and then fibers like Candiani that produces this denim, which is 100% biodegradable. It's the first denim in the world, 100% biodegradable. So we could actually plant our genes next time. <laughs> really, a biodegradable genes. Yeah, That's it's incredible. It's called Coriva. They developed this uh, fiber, this denim fiber, which is 100% recycled. Uh, the uh, biodegradable is extraordinary. And then, as mm. I told you, like Econil and wool with Walmart, you know, I'm constantly, you know, amazed about the power of yeah. this fiber. And then there are a lot of new things that are happening. Like we recently collaborated for the Green Carpet Fashion Awards with this um, gaming platform called Dressed. And um, it's Lucy Yeoman, who so used to be the, the editor of Harper's Bazaar and then um, uh, uh, Porter Magazine, who a couple of years ago founded, she, she came with the idea of what if instead of just keep buying clothes, we, we wanted to game with them, you know? Because yeah. while our boys, and you have boys, I have young boys, you know, yeah. while our boys are, you know, consumed by, you know, Minecraft or, or Call of Duty, all of, all of that, there are plenty yeah. of women around the world that do gaming too. So what if we used the gaming was about fashion and avatars and you gave challenges and you could. And so she launched this platform called Dressed and we did the green carpet challenge on Dressed as a game for the first time. And it was really, really interesting. So that also makes you understand that even retailers and brands are starting to think in a different way in terms of how can we differentiate our business model from purely selling to something else with fashion Um, and then what makes me most excited than anything else is to see this resurgence of the independent and small designers of the you know small brands that have sustainability at their core simply because they produce with incredible you know cooperatives around the world or like like Zazi Vintage and you know like that they have these incredible stories and and I love that. And and the, now there is um, not just the label, which is this platform for that has mass huge number of emerging designers. So if you want to buy something that is slightly different from the 
you know, what, what else you see everywhere else in the world wearing by the fast fashion brands. Like you can go there and buy something from a young designer that is doing. They want that called not just a label. Not just a label. But there are there are things that you know there are things that are happening that are very very exciting. So I I really look forward to see. I mean, what it's a very fertile moment, more than it's ever been. So in Mm. in all this um, devastation that COVID has, has caused. You know, it's almost like it irradiated everything to the ground and then the phoenix can emerge. You know, there is there is this new I think this this was also the message from the from the Green Carpet Fashion Awards this year. It's like we have this huge opportunity to reimagine a new world. How 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 do you want this new world to be? And more than anything, what are you gonna wear in it? You know? <laughs> it's, like, it's almost like your superpower superhero costume. Yeah. What is it gonna be? <laughs> Yeah, I love that, Livia. Honestly, it's been so great to chat. And I think it's so nice to end on some positivity and a chance that we all do have to perhaps reevaluate, to look back on this year. And there are so many lessons and opportunities learned and things to come for next year. But I'm sure that you've provoked a lot of thought in a lot of people in raising so many different topics here. Thank you so much. And we wish you hugest success with it all. Look forward to seeing your journey and seeing whether we can all join at least the minimum of the 30, 30 words minimum. I'm certainly signed up to that one. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, It was so lovely to speak to you. And thank you, everyone, for listening to my rants. And my thanks to you for joining me this Boxing Day special where we've just touched on the massive topic of sustainable fashion, something that affects each and every one of us who shops for clothes. And my lovely friend Livia has certainly given us plenty of practical advice here. I think my favourite being the 30 wears rule. And going forward, I'm certainly going to consider what I buy just a little bit more carefully and maybe even put it back on the hanger if I don't think I'll wear it a minimum of 30 times. And thinking about clothes as an investment for a lifetime ensures only pieces we truly love go into our wardrobes. And if you're anything like me, my actual wardrobe of wearing clothes has dramatically shrunk over these last few lockdown months. And I like being encouraged to buy less but better. And I love how Olivia also encouraged us to remember natural fibres such as wool, which are high performance and fully biodegradable not plastic fibres, as well as using recycled fibres as well. Well, that is it for today's podcast and for another year. Incredible, isn't it? It's been wonderful to share some silver linings of well-being wisdom during these difficult times. And it's good to be able to round off what has been a hideous year for so many with a note of positivity or two for the future. I do hope that you've been able to enjoy a cosy Christmas and like me are now looking forward to a brighter year ahead. Well, as always, you will find the links and the resources mentioned on today's show over on lazarwellbeing.com. There you can sign up for the free weekly newsletter. It's jam-packed with more ideas for living well in the year ahead. And a huge thanks to all of you who have left my podcast team and me such lovely reviews, especially on iTunes. You know, it really does help others to find the show. We are so grateful. And I'm excited to announce that the Lizard Wellbeing Show will return in early February with even more fabulous, inspiring and thought-provoking guests. So until then, I wish you and your loved ones many happy and healthy festivities and hopefully a far, far better new year. Mm
The Liz Earle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Liz Earle, with production by Amaryllis Earle and Harry Trevithick at Heart Dialogue. With thanks to my producer, Ellie Smith, my guest booker, Millie de la Morinière, and assistant researcher, Martha Comerford. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off.